Welcome back, everybody, to Film Music Focus. Today we have the immense pleasure of welcoming composer Bruce Broughton, who you all know to be a composer who has contributed an incredible amount of music to the craft over the years, from film to television to theme parks to video games, and not the least of which is his great collection of concert music. Mr. Broughton, welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you. Good. We... You're not really going to call me Mr. Broughton, are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, you called me out on it already. I'll call you Bruce from here on out. Yeah, I was thinking back before we, we started this, uh, when we first met, and, and I believe it was when we were tasked with writing some music for the International Horn Club um, via Brian O'Connor, you know, our, our late colleague. Uh, who was at UCLA a number of years, and that was the first kind of opportunity we had to get to know one another. Right. A lot since Yeah, a lot since then. So here we are, um, 50 years into the industry, um, you've, you've managed to stay afloat and reinvent <laughs> yourself. And I mean, you know, it, I say that in, in somewhat jest, but also with some degree of seriousness, because it, as you know, it's not a, an easy industry to maintain. And, you know, you, you, you're a composer's composer and you write uh, uh, not only an incredible amount of music across genres, but it's always so good. So here we are 50 years later. Let's kind of dial all the way back um, to 1970. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe one of the first television shows you were on was not as a composer. It was as kind of a, um, a manager or a supervisor of sorts. And um, this was in 1970 now. And um, the uh, the governor and JJ, does that ring a oh, bell? The governor and yeah. JJ. Yeah, I remember that with Dan Daly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that mean I started work out of college in 1967, um, working at CBS Television. Okay. And uh, that the music department doesn't exist anymore, but it had been going on for several years. Um, uh, 10 years or so before me, Jerry Goldsmith had worked in it when they were doing radio shows. Yeah. So um, a lot of the people that I knew from that time knew Jerry and, and Bernard Herman and guys like that had been associated with it in New York. So our job was to, I, I worked as a music supervisor, not as a composer. I was part of management. And um, our job was to supervise the television shows that we produced Hawaii Five-O, Gunsmoke, Wild Wild West, The Governor and JJ, He and She. Um, before that, it was The Twilight Zone. And I, I didn't work on The Twilight Zone. Uh, and, you know, Have Gun, Will Travel, and a lot of other shows like Pete and Gladys, which I'm sure you don't remember. Um, and uh, we would hire a composer. The Governor and JJ was uh, Jerry Fielding, who was great. I mean, he was just wonderful. Um and we would hire a composer, and then the composer would write several of the episodes. And if we had a whole season to go, uh, we would write as many episodes as we needed to accumulate, to accumulate a library from which then we music supervisors would track the rest of the shows. Right. The way it turned out is if we had a dramatic show like Hawaii Five-0 or Gunsmoke, um, sometimes we'd find that we had maybe 95% of the cues we needed in the library, but there was something special that we didn't have. 
So all of the music supervisors also composed. So we would write one or two cues to make up for whatever we didn't have. And we'd put it on the end of somebody else's session. And um, that was basically how I started. So mm. my first credit was on an episode of Gunsmoke mm-hmm. uh, that I'm actually in. I'm actually playing the piano in it. You know, I'm like 25, 26 years old. Yeah. Um, and it was a partial score, but I had over 50% of the music, so I got the credit. And um, yeah, that was my, that was the first show. And then I, the, the first complete show I did uh, was for Hawaii Five-0, yeah. for which I've done a lot of partial scores. And that show got a got an Emmy nomination. So I felt like I was really on my way. But at the time, that was all in addition to my jobs as originally as a music supervisor. And then I became the manager of the department. Then I became assistant director of music. And had I not left, I would have gone into administration. And by that time, I'd had enough of it. You know, I just wanted to I just wanted to write. So yeah, you speak that was of, my early beginnings. Well, you speak of the Emmy nomination, um, you know, the Hawaii Five-0 from 73 to I think it was 78 or 79. I mean, it was a, a lot of contribution on that one. Um, you know, the the amount of television music that exists today, as far as sheer minutes of music, um, is not all that different from what it was perhaps 40, 50 years ago. However, as you know, the industry has just changed 180 degrees nearly. And, yeah. you know, having, and we'll circle around to this eventually, I, I hope, if we have time, um, you know, you're coming full circle uh, on the Orville all these many years later, and having that very rare, unique opportunity to record with a live band in the way that, uh, you know, was, was so common 40, 50 years ago. I mean, even 30, 25 years ago, um, but not so much anymore, of course. So let's, let's pivot um, outside of just television for, for a moment. Let's look to 1982. And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if this was your first um, themed entertainment or I should say theme park endeavor, but Spaceship Earth, you know, at Epcot which uh, was one of, you know, that... That wasn't wasn't 1982. It wasn't? No, no, 1982 would have been somebody else's music. I don't remember who did this, the one before me. I did a... um, So you redid it, though, in the early 2000s. I remember that. I think the first theme park thing I did was a thing called um, The Making of Me. And it was done after... It was done after The Boy Who Could Fly. Right. So that was like 86, 87. I remember Jeffrey Katzenberg liked the score of The Boy Who Could Fly. And they tracked, they, they tracked the theme park show with my music. And the director, Glenn Car- Carum, um, Karen, whatever his name is, um, said, you know, Jeffrey really likes the temp music. So I said, oh, you, you mean I shouldn't change it? So I think they got me because they attempted with my score, you know. Got and that it. was by entry into, into games, but... Well, you mentioned the boy who could fly. Let's pivot just one year before that. We'll get to the boy who could fly in a moment. But uh, from 1985, the Academy Award-nominated score to Silverado, and uh, I'd love to share share a scene here. You know this this beautiful and what's become almost a a, a horn French horn staple. You know you hear it not only in the orchestras. It's not just an orchestra, but you hear brass bands all over the world and French horn sections all over the world playing this. It's just so spectacular. We, years ago, you may not remember, but we were sitting in um, uh, your home and discussing a little bit about the re-record that had just happened on Silverado. It was a re-release. It was remastered, I believe. And yeah. it was, I thought it was an, an interesting conversation because we were talking about how if that movie had been made that day when we were talking, you wouldn't have been able to write that same score due to mock-ups. And, um, 
which is, you know, of course, uh, very accurate. And so this scene here, um, what I love so much about it is, is how unique and fresh the take was on the classic Western pistol duel. And to your point about, um, you know, mock-ups in, in uh, the modern music world versus what you wrote back in 1985, this one features right out of the gate, you know, low timpani and English horn, which is arguably one of the worst-sounding samples you know, in any library. So let's let's have a look here at this incredibly cool cue from 1985, Silverado. What a waste. This could have been such a sweet deal for us. Yeah. Bad luck. Goodbye, cop. Goodbye, Peyton. Looking back, you know, all these years later on on that that very unique scene, which, as I kind of mentioned, I think is a really cool, very dark, fresh twist on the classic pistol duel. I mean, help us um, if you can just take a few minutes and recall, if you can, what you were going through there, why you chose to approach it that way, uh, why the director uh, may have had commentary, you know, here and there. I mean, wh- what do you have to share here? Anything? We'd love to hear it. Well, first of all, it makes me miss Brian Denny. Um, yeah. He was a, I mean, he was great personality and terrific on this. And I love the way he falls. It's just so dramatic. And so, you know, everything. Um, when we spotted the movie, Larry Kasdan, the director, um, said he wanted, he was very clear in what he wanted for this movie. He said, I want a traditional Hollywood Western score. Okay. So that there were two composers that came to mind immediately. One was, um, Jerome Moross, yeah. who did, um, you know, that, what was it? The, um, the big country, yeah, big sky yeah, and, or big country. Yeah. Big country. Yeah. I mean, and that, I mean, that was the first one because that his style was so unlike anything that had been traditional, you know, Westerns before that. And then of course, after that was, was Elmer's score for Magnificent Seven, yeah. which I think had a lot to draw on from, from Jerry Moross. So anyway, those two scores, I thought, Oh, okay. So at least I knew what I was doing. And also I knew that it would have a lot of energy. One of the things I asked him, I said, do you want me to have the music do what happens? Um, do you want me to have the music play the drama? Meaning, do you, do you want it to play the action? He said, what do you mean? I said, mm-hmm. I mean, like when the bad guy falls down, do you want a chord or something like that? He says, yeah. So if you look at that scene, in fact, I, was, I haven't seen it for a while. When, when Brian actually falls down, he falls down with a chord. Mm-hmm. And there's a thing later where the camera goes to um, Kevin as, as he puts, as he holsters his pistol and there's a big, you know, yes. I mean, everything is very much like that. You could say it's Mickey Mouse, um, but it's actually tied very much to the drama. And I would like to think that 
in the tradition of someone like Max Steiner, who mm-hmm. used to do that a lot. Yeah. And the very best of when it works, that was what that's what I, I did a lot of on, on Silverado. Um, one thing about Silverado that you mentioned is um, it's true. If I had had to do a mock-up on this, this score would not have been the score because when you're doing mock-ups, you're basically doing something that's going to get the approval from the director of the studio or whatever. So you're doing whatever the mock-ups are able to do. Right. A mock-up can't do what I can do with an orchestra or I mean, John Williams. What would he want to do with a mock-up, you know, because he's a terrific orchestrator. So on this movie, because we didn't have mock-ups yet and we didn't have this kind of equipment that we all have now. um, I was unrestrained, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I was unrestrained and I was terrified because this was the first big, I had done two little movies before this. This was the first opportunity I had to have a really big movie. And I was just hoping that I wouldn't screw it up, you know? So at one point about halfway through, Larry called me and he said, look, is there any chance of being able to come over and hear what you're doing? And I thought, well, yeah, of course. I mean, I said, sure, you can come over. So he came over with his brother, Mark, who had co-written the the movie, along with Carol Littleton, Mm -hmm. who actually is a musician. She, um, She was an oboe player. And um, I mean, she was the real, I mean, Carol is the real deal anyway. So they came over and they sat in my little room and I played the whole score on the piano, which frankly, you know, if, if we had to hear anybody, uh, John Williams, Randy Newman, anybody sit and play their score on the piano, it sounds like chopsticks because you really can't imagine what the orchestra is okay. going to do given who the person is who's playing it. You know, I mean, you know, it's going to sound better, but how much is better? So they sat there and they were very polite. And I told them everything that was happening. This chord happens when such and such goes on and all that kind of stuff. And it was, you know, they were very nice. And then they said, thank you. And they're getting ready to leave. And I said, look, before you go, let me play you something else. I said, I'm going to play you something that, that it has an orchestra performing it. But here's what it sounds like on the piano. So I played this thing on the piano, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And they went, you know, okay. And then I played the orchestra version. And they went, whoa! I mean, literally, they just stood back and went, whoa! And I said, that's the difference between what you're hearing now and you're going to hear when we get the orchestra. Well, what did you so, use as your example? I'm curious. I used um, the main title to uh, the first Olympics. It was a TV miniseries yeah. that had, I think it was the first time I'd worked with an orchestra, yeah. um, actually in television. It was recorded in London. We had like 65 people. And it was a big fanfare because it was an Olympic thing, you know, and it had all the horns and all that kind of stuff going and it was very impressive. I mean, it's still a pretty good, you know, impressive piece. So when we got to um, when we got to the score, to me, um, I'm the composer trying to get the music done, and you know, I, I, but there was some sort of um, there was some energy that was going on because people kept showing up. I mean, I had people dropping in to hear the score all week, you know, and mm-hmm. and um, I'll have to say it was a great experience. We didn't have any problems with the score there was one piece i i needed to rewrite because um i i got it wrong i mean i didn't understand yeah, yeah. Um, the way that larry wanted it so no big deal we made a couple of other little changes here and there like i remember talking about carol littleton um i recorded something like i came into the booth to listen to it and, and larry said there's some there's some sound that's happening when such such and such happens and and I don't, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of bothering me or whatever. And I said, okay. And I was trying to figure out what some sound is. And I looked at Carol 
And Carol walked over to the score and she put her finger on it. She said, I think it's right here. And I said, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And I fixed it and that was it. You know, so, I mean, Carol was a blessing. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it was, a, it was just, it was just a lot of fun. It was yeah. a great week and, and the movie did well. I mean, the movie did okay. The score did really well. Yeah. Pretty soon people call, called me up and said, oh, uh, the U.S. tennis championships, they're playing Silverado or, or for, it became a sports thing, you know? Yeah. And, so I, I still hear about it. People still say, oh, you know, I really love your score in Silverado. And thinking about the horn theme, um, one thing that I've noticed over the years is if I'm at a college, at a university or something like that, and I walk into the band room and there's a horn player there who recognizes me, he'll start to play that. He'll yeah. start to play the fanfare. As a concert piece, I have a really often played tuba concerto. Yes, that's a big one. So I walk into the band room and there's a tuba player there and he recognized me, he'll play the tuba concerto. So it's really kind of nice. That's, yeah, that's the limit of my fame, you know? That's fun. You know, the, the horn players, they'll, they'll do anything to uh, have an excuse to play a high written B flat above the staff, yeah. you know, and, and that, that. Well, you, I used to be a horn player. I was a yeah. mediocre horn player, but I could, I could never play that line. Yeah. But I figured, um, well, I mean, these are, you know, I've, I've got the guys. Actually, that was funny too, because yeah. The first morning we got there and um, I called Vince DeRosa, I, I called the guys, Vince DeRosa, Henry Sigismati, Dick Parisi, Art Mobby. I called them, you know, it's yeah. like the Italian mafia, the horn section. Yeah. And they, they worked together all the time. It was a great group. Okay. Vince had another job. So Henry was going to play first. Great. Henry was great. He'd been the principal in the LA Philharmonic and we worked together all the time. We had done how the West was one together. Henry was great. At the end of the morning session, Henry walked up to me and he said, I'd really like to do this, but I can't. He said, um, I've got a boil in my mouth. And he said, this, this is just killing me. So I'm going to have to, you know, take off for the rest of the week. So I thought, well, crap, what am I going to do? And I looked at Dick Parisi, who I had never heard play first. Yeah. He had always played number two or number three. And I said, well, guess you're playing first. <laughs> you know? And he did a great job. I mean, he yeah. did a great job. He did a great job as a leader. He did a great job as a horn player. Um, it was really funny. You know, it's just like, well, I, I mean, I thought that was a disaster, but it wasn't at all. It was a blessing. Yeah. It's, so a, I, it's, it's a horn part. It's a horn part, yeah, you know, and, and all these years later, it's still a good horn part for people to play. Um, one of the, one of the criticisms of the score when it first came out was that, or maybe it was after the album came out. I can't remember. Bruce Broughton obviously doesn't know what to do with the strings. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, Oh, that's because of all the brass in there, you know, no, but, you, you know, know, look, I, I, if I were you, um, I would have, maybe you did, I'd taken that as a compliment. You know, I mean, the, the, the way that you use the strings in the score was um, not that it sounded like Stravinsky, it didn't, but it was um, it was percussive, which is very yeah. Stravinsky-esque. You know, turning the string section to a percussion section um, in, you know, all the different ways you can do it. I'm not talking about, you know, just percussive sounds, you know, slapping the bow on the on the instrument, something that, you know, mundane. But, but I mean, you know what I mean. But it, yeah. that, I mean, there's a whole score of, of, pivoting between percussion and you know kind of opening it up into the the classic well, you know 50 60 sound every once in a while the score was very horizontal meaning it was really there isn't a lot of counterpoint in it mm -hmm. there's a lot yeah. of big chords uh it's a look i mean larry was trying to to do a movie he was trying to do a western for people who had never seen westerns before and i he told me this and i said well like who and he said, well, think about it. He said, you and I, we're about the same age. He said, you and I grew up with Westerns. He mm -hmm. said, but our kids haven't. 
Yeah. Actually, the last famous Western before Silverado was had been in Blazing Saddles, which is a parody. Yeah. So, <laughs> so here he was. You know, if you look at Silverado, it's really well made. I mean, that whole yeah. thing of, that we just saw. Um, goodbye, um, Cobb. Goodbye, Peyton. Well, the first line when they see each other is, hello, Cobb. Hello, Peyton. Yeah, you know, I mean, that right. whole thing has, it's all been worked out. I mean, that's one of the things I love about the movie. And if you get up and you're watching it on TV, you get up to take a bathroom break, you come back and you may have lost something really important because it's a really tightly put together script. So here he is doing the, the, the first Western movie. And um, I'm, you know, I'm, the, he's got the family in it. He's got friendship. These are the major themes. So the white hats and the black hats are really strong things. I mean, the, the, the Brian Dennehy character is a really bad guy. Yeah. Um, Later, Jeff Goldblum comes in, and he's a bad guy. The good guys are really good guys, you know? So it's like good guy, bad guy, good guy, bad guy. There's no, there's not a lot of shading between them. Family, very rich, very warm. So it's a very harmonic kind of a score, even mm. though the tune, you know, the tune's in there. It's a big tune. Um, very different from a movie like Tombstone, where there are no good guys. They're all bad yeah, guys, you yeah. know, and Which we'll get terrible to. things. Yeah, we'll get but, to that one in a bit. Yeah. That, yeah. The Silverado is you know, very different, and, and I love Silverado because it's just very well, very well put together. And I was very proud to be able to work on it. Yeah. And we and relieved that they didn't toss it. <laughs> Brought to you by Santa Concerts.